Bankless Nation, welcome to this Friday's episode of the Bankless Weekly Rollup. Once again, for the second time this week, we have a special episode because our fearless leader, Ryan Sean Adams, is out on vacation. And so we have brought in a substitute teacher, Anthony Cezano, the second time that he stepped in for Ryan. Uh, and Anthony, welcome to the Bankless Weekly Rollup. Thanks for helping us go through the news, man. Hey, David. Thanks for having me again. You know, I, Ryan keeps slacking off. I have to keep making up for for, for it. So, uh, you know, I'm always happy to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Ryan, Ryan does a, a ton of the legwork behind the uh, behind the scenes. And so uh, happy to get a new face in on the show while Ryan deserves a, a well-deserved vacation or slacking off one of the two things. All right, Bankless Nation, I'm sure this isn't your first weekly roll-up, so you know what to do. Get out your coffee because we are going to be moving through a bunch of topics really quickly. First, we're stopping at the market. What happened in the last week in the market? Releases, what got released? News, what happened in the news cycle? Some ecosystem takes, who had good opinions in the last week of crypto? And then finally, we will finish off with what David and Anthony are excited about and the cherry on top after that, the meme of the week. Anthony, you ready to get going here? Let's do it. It's been an exciting week. But guys, first, before we get into the show, we got to talk about Ledger and how you kind of need one. Have you been just fooling around in DeFi doing yield farming and all that other stuff and you've been doing it on your MetaMask and your hot, hot wallet? If you've been using a hot wallet, you have to get a Ledger hardware wallet. Uh, and the Ledger hardware wallet only becomes more and more useful as Ledger integrates more and more DeFi apps. And the most recent DeFi app that they've integrated is Paraswap. And so you can now use Paraswap directly from the Ledger Live software, which is the, the software you can download on your computer. It's extremely friendly to all of the all, all of your friends that you're trying to get into crypto. Send them, get them a Ledger first and foremost, and then send them to the Ledger Live app, which is a very safe environment to be in crypto while also being your own bank. If you are unfamiliar with what Paraswap is, it is a DEX aggregator that combs the world and landscape of DEXs and makes sure that you get your the best optimized trade whenever you swap your crypto assets. And now you can use it inside of your ledger. So check out the link in the show notes if you want to download the Ledger Live app and also get a Ledger hardware wallet, which like I said, if you don't have a hardware wallet, you're playing it risky. So protect yourself with a ledger and just start using the Ledger Live app. All right, Bitcoin at the price of $34,300. Anthony, got any opinions as, the as to the trajectory or price action that we've seen in the last week with Bitcoin? Not, not really, not any strong opinions. It's just been uh, weak uh, price-wise for a little bit. You know, I tried to, to bounce up a bit after falling under 30K again. And, you know, I think everyone's just holding their breath and seeing if it's going to maintain that because... I feel like at this point in time, not just with Bitcoin, but with everything, people are just kind of like too scared to open long positions at right now because they're like, okay, if I can buy it back in cheaper, there's no rush really right now. Um, but yeah, who, who knows what's going to happen from here? It's really uh, everyone that I follow that's either a trader or an investor or whatever, no one really knows what's going to happen in the short term. I think it's the most confused I've seen in the market in a very long time. Yeah, confused definitely really seems to be the word of choice for the last week. What do you think about this head and shoulders formation that people, traders are really uh, talking about where the shoulder, the left shoulder is in January, February of 2021. And now we are establishing that right shoulder. And then the high range between 50 and 60,000 was the head. What do you think about this head and shoulders formation? Yeah, I've been watching it. It seems like something that the bears really, really want to play out because that would mean that BTC would go to around 20K or even below 20K. 
which would be obviously like the buying opportunity of a lifetime on, on Bitcoin, or at least what people will consider to be the buying opportunity of a lifetime. But it still has time to invalidate. I mean, it has to get back over 40K, uh, it seems like, to and, and stay there. Like it tried to do that a little while ago and then it just failed. Um, but yeah, I think this is this is quite scary if it plays out uh, because just based on technicals, if it does play out properly, yeah, it'll be going to the old all-time high uh, to test it again. And, you know, that's always scary. Uh, I, there's a lot of precedent there to say that going underneath the old all-time high is just not something that Bitcoin does when it comes down. But at the same time, you know, who knows, right? <laughs> this has been a weird bull market, so maybe it's going to be a weird bear market if we go into that. <laughs> Yeah, so that's an interesting way to put it. I, I, my opinion here is that so many people have their eyes on the head and shoulders that it's it can't play out. Too many people are watching it, and so it's 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 a crowded trade if it is a trade at all. Let's move to Ether price. Ether price currently hanging at around nineteen hundred and seventy dollars. It's been flirting above two thousand uh, dollars recently. Uh, yesterday and the day before, it got up to I think as high as two hundred or two thousand and forty dollars, uh, and is struggling to keep its head above that that two thousand dollar mark. But um, doing a pretty good job of it. Uh, again, right now falling below $19,070. Anthony, any opinions on the ETH price? Yeah, I mean, I th it feels like ETH just following Bitcoin at this point in time. Uh, it do doesn't seem like kind of like head and shoulders pattern on ETH or anything like that or any kind of like, I guess, obvious technical patterns. But I feel like Bitcoin led the, the way down and it's kind of like leading the the strength now in the market. And if Bitcoin seems strong, then ETH's going to seem strong. But yeah, I just, it's just limbo again. Like the ETH, mm -hmm. I guess the ETH price is even more confusing than the Bitcoin price because it's just not acting on its own. It's waiting for a for a signal from Bitcoin, which is waiting for a signal from whoever <laughs> to, to kind of go um, and to go back up basically. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think in a confused market, uh, everyone is kind of waiting for, for Bitcoin to make its first move, right? It reminds me of that meme from um, uh, Forrest Gump where all the runners are running behind uh, Forrest and everyone's waiting to see what Forrest will do next. Uh, and so I think if when we are going to finally get some clarity as to what this direction of the market is, it's going to probably come from Bitcoin first. Um, everyone's looking at the, the biggest whale in the room here. And of course, um, Bitcoin is still is still king, still number one. That's why we always start with Bitcoin price. But if any other asset happens to uh, surpass Bitcoin in uh, total market cap, we will lead with that one first. Um, speaking of the most recent and the most likely candidate is perhaps Ether. So let's talk about the ETH BTC ratio currently at 0 0.057, which historically still high. Again, still high versus Bitcoin uh, coming off the highs that we touched just above 0 0.08 when it was the flipping mania. Uh, Anthony, is are you seeing strength or weakness in the ETH BTC ratio? Again, uh, it's I, I think this is related to what Bitcoin's doing. So I, I think if Bitcoin starts going up and trying to confirm some bullish continuation, the ratio is just going to fall because everyone's going to be piling into a Bitcoin trade. And I feel like ETH BTC does really well during bullish momentum, um, but during kind of like bearish momentum, it seems to either just trend down slowly, get stuck in kind of limbo. Um, I'm, I'm eyeing that 0.055 level that it tested last time, but uh, you know, it could go lower than that. It just depends on if Bitcoin starts sucking up uh, all the air again, and uh, sorry, sucking in all the air out of the room again, uh, we you can see this drop further. So generally, I don't know people that kind of trade ETH BTC. They more trade sentiment around BTC and ETH, which is which gets reflected in this chart. So it's a very messy chart, that's for sure. And let's go to the DeFi Pulse Index, which 
I have to admit defeat on my 0 0.013 bottom call. We are at 0 0.012, which is meaningfully below 0 0.013, and it's been a week without trying to regain it. Uh, I thought it put up a valiant effort, uh, but uh, I guess we are just going lower than, than what I thought. Um, however, I, I still think that this is a good buying opportunity for DPI. Uh, this it's just approaching lower lower lows and lower lows and the the fundamentals behind a lot of these DeFi tokens are only getting stronger, especially when we talk about price to sales ratio and and uh, ca the cash flow as a as a uh, uh, price of earnings uh, and uh, comparing that to traditional valuations and traditional metrics. Uh, really really cheap DeFi tokens in my opinion. Anthony, got any opinions here? I mean, it's a little bit surprising how weak DeFi has been against ETH in particular. Uh, this is, you know, it's pretty much like, I think it's at an all-time low or something like that, or lower than it's going to last low there, we can see in the chart. Um, you know, we could, I guess, talk about uh, DPI's performance in general and like DeFi's performance for, for hours. But I think the one thing that uh, caught a lot of people off guard was... Uh, the fact that they thought during like the mania people were going to pile into DeFi tokens when in reality they piled into like dog tokens and scams mm. and like retail never came for DeFi, at least Ethereum DeFi. I mean, you can, there's other quote unquote DeFi out there that, um, you know, is, is kind of falls into that category because they market themselves as such. But I just really think that that the retail investors didn't come and we don't have enough institutional and and traditional investors in this space to really care about price to sales, price to earnings yet to, to move the needle there. But at the same time, ETH is just like such an amazing shelling point of an asset for the Ethereum ecosystem. I mean, if you own DeFi, like Ethereum DeFi tokens, you own ETH. Like that already is enough signal to me because like, you know, DeFi is a broad kind of thing. And if I own ETH, it doesn't necessarily mean I own any kind of like specific DeFi token. I might own some of them, but it's not like everyone owns the same. Like me and you would own different kind of DeFi tokens, or we might have some overlap, but generally we both own ETH though. So that that shelling point of an asset, I think is incredibly important. I think that's why it's so, so hard to outperform ETH in, the, in over the long run. Yeah, as we know, ETH is ultra sound money. And so that's that's always why we kind of look at this DPI versus ETH ratio, because to me, the DPI dollar number is only only tells so much of a story, right? Um, the DeFi and ultra sound money, I think, orbit around each other. They, the, It's really the ratio between the magnitude of these two things, I think, is really the signal versus the noise. And I mean, we're all pretty convinced that over the long term, both DeFi tokens and ETH are going up in dollar terms anyway. So why don't we get ahead of that conversation and just start comparing these things to each other. Uh, we are currently standing at $51 billion locked in DeFi. Again, coming out of the highs that it used to be at $90 billion, um, but $50 billion, $50 billion is still a pretty high number. Not setting any new flow, uh, floors, I would say. Uh, staying above the, the $50 billion mark is, is pretty cool. Anthony, any, any opinions here? Yeah, I mean, the dollar value locked is just going to follow um, the prices, obviously. So as mm -hmm. prices come down, especially of ETH, that dollar value is going to fall. It just looks so, like the I mean, chart. Yeah, yeah, basically. Like, I, I feel like it's it's completely natural. Um, and, you know, if you zoom out to like all on that chart, the growth is still like incredible. Uh, <laughs> absolutely wow. incredible, right? Even over um, just like Yeah, it, year, it really yeah. does look it really does look exactly like the ETH chart, which is, <laughs> which is pretty funny. But I think, I think, yeah, generally, like, obviously, if, if ETH is going down, then that number is going to be going down, um, you know, at, at this point in time. Because ETH is the, prem, uh, you know, premier collateral, the pristine collateral that everyone uses within these systems. Um, and, you know, that, 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 that's why it's tied, I think. 
Ave coming in still at number one with the most value locked at in 15% dominance according to DeFi Pulse. Uh, Ave and DeFi Pulse report different numbers locked. If you go to the Ave page, they, they report a different number, and so I'm wondering, I'm wondering where that discrepancy is is counted from. Uh, something new that we might re be revisiting a lot on the Bankless Weekly rollups is this new website called Layer2Beat, L2Beat.com, and this is kind of similar to to DeFi Pulse in that it compares the amount of value deposited onto different Layer Twos. Uh, and interestingly, it's decided to not include Polygon here, which I guess because Polygon isn't a true layer two, I, I guess they are, are drawing that line there. Um, I personally consider Polygon a layer two just because any scaling solution I think that's politically aligned with Ethereum at the very least is a layer two. That's a subject for perhaps a different day. Um, but uh, Loopering coming in at number one with 120 million locked, uh, followed up by ZK Swap with 70 million and DYDX with 43 million. We got Optimism in there. We got Hermes in there. We got uh, ZK Sync and uh, uh, let's see, what's what's the other one? Um, Arbitrum as well, uh, with a, you know just a relatively low number of sixty-six thousand dollars in Arbitrum, but I think that these numbers are going up and to the right, and it's going to happen pretty damn fast. Yeah, I think I think you can look at what happened with Polygon, even even if Polygon isn't included here. I think you can look at what happened there and kind of like extrapolate that out to what's going to happen with things like Optimism, Arbitrum, you know, uh, EVM compatible zk sync and things like that. Like once you have the platform live and the, and the apps on there, the users come very very quickly, uh, as we've seen, because liquidity is so easy to move, and as long as you have the correct infrastructure tools and the correct kind of plumbing in there, you can get users across. So yeah, I think this this is kind of noise right now because the layer two Ethereum ecosystem is still so so early, um, you know, and and a lot of these things aren't even live in a public fashion. I mean, hopefully, Arbitrum goes live very soon. Um, and optimism obviously, you know, said that said that'd be going live in July. I think they st still might hit that, but uh, and then you know the other ones are coming later. So I feel like in the next six months, this is going to look very very different. And the top projects will probably be uh, the the kind of like generalized platforms because Loopring is amazing, but Loopring isn't a general generalized platform, right? It's just its own ecosystem. Uh, so it, it probably can never be as big as is the generalized ones, but that's not what they're going for. So that's fine. Uh, same with things like DYDX and, and ZK Swap and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, I think it's really cool that this site exists and I can't wait to, to see what it looks like in six months time. Do you have an opinion as to why DYDX builds on its own layer two or, or rather instead of just picking out something like Arbitrum or Optimism that has more generalizability and, and perhaps a, a more diverse ecosystem in the future? Yeah, you get. I guess you get more control build like building out your own thing. It's like it's kind of like this theory that like every app should have its own chain, so mm -hmm. to speak, so app specific blockchains, and that's kind of like the Cosmos uh, model, right. I guess, and and less to a lesser extent maybe the Polkadot model. But um, you know, I, I think for them, they just wanted to like be laser focused on their own product, uh, not have like the noise of of, uh, of anything else um, in the background. There, they they also rebuilt. I believe DYDX in Cairo in Starkware's um, programming language. They didn't build it in Solidity, and they're using Starkware's uh, new virtual machine, uh, Stark OS or something like that. The operating system there. So yeah, I think it's just like a different kind of um, uh, uh, model. It's like the Loopring model, so to speak. But they want to create their own ecosystem. They want to be laser focused on their own product. They don't want to have anyone in there, in, you know, crowding them out or whatever. But they still want to live on Ethereum and they still want to inherit Ethereum security. So yeah, I think there was a podcast done. I can't remember where it was, what it was done on. I don't know if it was done on Bankless or somewhere else where uh, DYDX and Stark were on there and they were talking about like their philosophy through this and how they didn't mind having to, 
so yeah yeah okay well then yeah they didn't mind having to rebuild uh the thing from scratch because it only took like six months and now they have like a fully you know um scalable roll-up so to speak using some some of the best technology in the space so yeah i don't i i think it's just like a different model at the end of the day totally yeah and if you guys want to check out the anthony the or the podcast that anthony is talking about that was a state of the nation with dydx and starkware you can find that on the youtube here is something new that happened this last week over a hundred thousand ether 200 million dollars was staked into ethereum 2.0 in a single day uh anthony do you know who who did this yeah it was me uh i, I, I didn't want to do- i didn't want to dox myself till today but uh yeah <laughs> no you know what's it's funny because like uh on bitfinex at around 1700 to 1800 when ETH was falling through there was a massive massive whale buying up ETH. like i think they bought over a hundred thousand ETH, and i don't know if that same whale is the one that put this into staking but this is a lot of ETH going into mm-hmm. staking i mean the confidence that that this signals about ETH, like because this went in directly. It didn't go in through some custodian. It didn't go in through uh, Lido or anything. Mm-hmm. It went directly into the deposit contract, which means this ETH is locked until the merge. Right. So this person is essentially saying, I don't want to sell this ETH until mm-hmm. at least the merge. Um, so yeah, it's a huge vote of confidence. It's really great to see. I, I, I believe like every bit of ETH going into staking, um, direct staking, not through like a third party that lets you exit whenever you want, um, is, is a vote of confidence for right. the future of Ethereum. Uh, and, and you know, this is just a huge, like 100,000 ETH. I mean, the dollar value on that right now is what, like two, is it two billion dollars? Two hundred. Oh, sorry, two hundred million, not not billion. That is that is a massive amount of money right. going in. Um, so yeah, really really cool to see this. I'm not sure who it is. Like, there's only a very few people who can afford that that amount of ETH and who would actually buy that amount of ETH. Maybe it was already a uh, someone that was already a whale. I'd have to mm-hmm. do some on-chain analysis, but I haven't looked at it too closely yet. That would be inc- inc- insanely uh, cool if we got a story out about somebody who bought the dip and then just immediately just yeeted it into the deposit contract. That would be really, <laughs> yeah. really cool. The other th- the other indicator, you, you said a, a vote of confidence. It, it, to me, it's just like obvi- there's provable data of on-chain bulls. Like only bulls are in the deposit contract. Only bulls are people that have are buying ETH and, and putting it there. Because like you, like you said, it's people that don't care about the price of Ether. They are, they are holders until the end of time, right? Um, staking is nice because it intrinsically rewards bullishness. Uh, we talked on the Bankless uh, Weekly Rollup a, a few weeks ago about uh, people that had fears that, you know, when the uh, merge finally happens, if there's going to be a bunch of ETH coming to the secondary market to dump because uh, a lot of ETH that got to place, uh, uh, place into the deposit contract got placed between like 300 and and one thousand dollar ether and so people might want to take some profits uh, but my response to that is if you are depositing ether into the, the the deposit contract you are intrinsically an eth bull uh, and so you actually are the person that is most inclined to not sell your ether uh, and so we'll, we'll see how that plays out when the merge actually decides to come around Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and I think it depends on what price uh, uh, what price ETH is at at that point in time as well. And also uh, for those who don't know, there's actually a withdrawal queue. Like not everyone can withdraw at once. I think a max 900 validators can get out a day, which is 900 times 32 ETH, whatever that is, um, can get out a day. So at, at, that's the max amount of selling pressure. If you assume that they're all going to sell, that we would have. Uh, so, you know, when you think about that, I just, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm with you. I feel like staking your ETH is like a sign of bullishness. And I feel like most of that ETH is just going to stay in there forever. Mm-hmm. I really don't believe uh, that it's just going to become like the merge is going to go through, the withdrawal is going to be enabled, and everyone's going to rush to the exits to sell. I, I just, I don't see that happening. Totally. Agreed. 
Another sign that this bull market is not over is A16Z launches a new $2.2 billion crypto venture fund, which means $2.2 of investment is coming into this industry. That is the largest uh, fund that I have ever seen ever by a long shot. Uh, I, I think that's what this article is about, is it's actually saying like, yeah, this is the largest fund out of crypto. Uh, so congratulations to A16Z, well-deserved part of that brand power that you guys got there. Uh, Anthony, any comments here? Yeah, this this is definitely the largest fund. It's it's uh, their third fund. So they've got two other ones that they've already deployed. Uh, and I think the, the most exciting thing about these funds is that they have to deploy, um, you know, unless all the limited partners or LPs, as they're called, want all their money back, uh, which, you know, a lot of the time they don't. Uh, these, these funds have to be deployed, which means that there's a lot of money coming into, I think a lot of it will go into the private markets, but they uh, A16Z still does OTC deals with, uh, with projects. I mean, I think they did one recently with Solana. Uh, so this money is going to make its way into the ecosystem for sure, regardless if it's a private deal or, or a public deal or whatever. Um, but this just means that anyone who wants to get funding, I mean, it's not just AU16Z either. There are so many funds out there who recently raised money off the back of the bull market where people kind of FOMO'd in. Like, I think when people look at funds, they think, oh, they're sophisticated. They don't FOMO in. No, man, they're humans. <laughs> they FOMO in just like everyone else. Um, so so there's this money here just like for builders. And we've seen some mega raises recently, like uh, Starkware at 75 or 80 million or something, DYDX at like 60 million. So these teams are going to be able to build through any kind of bear market. If we go into, for some reason, another two-year two, two year bear, these teams are fine. And there's more capital to raise you know, series A's or series B's or C's or whatever from these funds. So this is incredibly bullish, I think, um, for, for the builder space, especially. And for the fact that, you know, during the bear market, there were not not that many funds in the 2018, 2019 bear market and not many things were getting getting uh, kind of funding. Now, I mean, there's billions just waiting right. to be deployed, which is which is really uh, exciting. Yeah, there's a very strong conversation in 2018 and 2019 as to like, yo, how do we fund our industry? Ethereum really had that problem. And and seeing these numbers come into funds like A16Z and, and like you said, A16Z, it's the biggest by now. So congratulations to them. But there are so many that are also very large. Uh, and so like, guys, we got we got fuel in the tank if anything bad happens uh, for the long term with crypto prices. Bantag out of the Yearn team posted this chart that I thought was pretty interesting where it compares and contrasts the revenue generated by the Yearn protocol versus some uh, TradFi, some traditional finance correlates like Betterment, Wealthfront, and BlackRock. Uh, and interestingly, it also compares it as a revenue per employee basis. And so Yearn made $123 million in revenue. Uh, and uh, compared to Betterment, which made 50, and Wealthfront, that made $30 million in revenue. But interestingly, revenue per employee, Yearn made $5.86 million per employee, and Betterment just made 0.17, and Wealthfront made $0.13 million per employee. Ryan Sean Adams, if he was here, he would say exactly what I'm about to say right now, but DeFi protocols don't have much costs. It, they are protocols. They are autonomous software on Ethereum. Once they work, they work. And Ethereum and Ethereum security is what actually is the thing that is costly to maintain. And that is that's that's a whole separate consensus mechanism. That's that's proof of work uh, and proof of stake and ultrasound money and all that. Once that is taken care of, DeFi apps are free to maintain. And so all that's needed for things like Yearn or Uniswap is just a little bit of continued development from a relatively small team, which makes them some of the most efficient. Um, capital generating entities that we have ever seen in this world mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, I wrote about a bit about this in in the daily way newsletter the other day 
where I basically said that it's just absolutely incredible the uh, the flattening of costs here uh, across DeFi protocols with their um, centralized counterparts, I guess you could call them. Uh, and, you know, you, you went through the, the table here. I think it's funny because you can look at the the, the number here for Yearn, 21 team members. There's also the community as well. I think the difference between these kind of like uh, betterments, wealth fronts, whatever, and Yearn is that Yearn has a core team that does, you know, the core development, but then they also have a massive community. Betterment and Wealthfront don't have any organic communities from what I've seen, or even BlackRock, right? They're, they're just like, their community is their company, so to speak. Um, whereas you can be a Yearn community member or a you know, Wi-Fi token holder and have absolutely nothing to do with the, the core development. And on top of that, there's a lot of other protocols out there that are essentially done and don't need uh, stewarding or don't need kind of like, I, I guess, like continued building. You know, Uniswap's a perfect example here where V2 is still going strong. Like V3 is out there, but V2 is very strong. And there is no development on V2 because you can't. You can't do anything on V2 because the contracts are immutable. It's completely decentralized. Governance doesn't have any control over V2. Um so essentially, it's done. There, it's zero employees, and it's still making revenue uh, for the protocol and, and the LPs and things like that. So I, I think uh, th this is just going to be a, a massive kind of thing going forward where, as I was saying before, there's not enough sophisticated investors in this space yet to care about this stuff. But going forward, there will be. And they'll be like, you know, how is this possible? Like this, this protocol is doing um, this you know, price to sale, they have like such low costs, um, you know, their growth prospects are insane. Why is this token only trading at X and X market cap? And I, I think that is going to be a massive shift here because at the end of the day, Yearn wants to be like similar to something like BlackRock or, or Betterment and Wealthfront. And they're already doing more revenue than Betterment and Wealthfront um, with way less team members and, 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 and also with way higher growth prospects too. So yeah, I don't know. I just feel like the market can't just stay really dumb forever <laughs> no that i'm i'm with you 100 percent, brother like so, to some degree i'm on my bearish days i'll be confused i'd be, be like well some of these apps aren't actually throwing off cash some of these like governance tokens do people actually want governance tokens are they really what we say they are but at the end of the day i when i put my bullish hat back on is like all that all that people have to do is make the association right all that all that people do have to do is believe that it makes sense to buy these things because they generate revenue for the protocol and maybe maybe they're not throwing off cash into your pocket maybe there's just a, a lot of traffic controlling of value by these governance tokens but all people have to do is believe that they are generating the the numbers because a lot of these uh, typical equities they don't pay dividends either and so to some degree it's very much a belief system it's like do these tokens have control over the value that they say that they have and there's a lot of value that these DeFi apps are controlling and so at some point i do think there's just going to be like a herd mentality it's like oh yeah these tokens are really valuable let's buy them all right uh, in, on the same vein of protocols with cash flow and fees, uh, Alpha Femora is one of the few protocols that actually does put cash in your pocket as a token holder. So, and uh, Alpha Femora V2 has already generated almost $700,000 in protocol fees in just about one month. Annualized total fees collected by all Alpha Hamora products, V1, V2, and on Binance Smart Chain, will be $13.85 million if that was annualized over a year, uh, which puts Alpha Hamora you know, decently up the, the charts of revenue generating cash flowing assets in DeFi. Yeah, I mean, I think this is really cool uh, that Alpha is already like, kind of like that big and, and returning things to token holders. But at the same time, I have a little bit of a maybe a different view here where I actually believe that 
Token holders shouldn't be getting anything at this point in the, in the life cycle of these products. It's too early. All the money and all the revenue that's being generated should be reinvested back into growing the protocol. Uh, that's a lot of money that can be reinvested into building. And I, I really, I don't, I don't really think that uh, token holders should be getting like a dividend, what, and not even a year after Alpha Finance has launched, for example. And, you know, you see this play out a lot in the traditional kind of finance system or the traditional any any kind of company system where dividends or, or maybe a, public, a company won't even go public for a long time and they won't pay dividends for a, uh, for, for a long time there as well. So and they just reinvest. I mean, Amazon does it still. They reinvest all their profits into growing Amazon and the Amazon stock price hasn't suffered at all. <laughs> like sure. it's, you know, um, so I think I have a bit of a different uh, opinion there, but I, I think it's still cool to, to be paying out to token holders. But maybe it's just a bit too early to be doing so. And I don't know about Alpha Finance specifically. I know some protocols do both, where they take uh, money for their treasury and they take and they pay out some to stakers to act as like an insurance backstop, which I think is cool. If if there's actually like productivity being done here, where staking tokens. Um, gives you access to like revenue of the system, but it also means that your tokens are at risk if you're part of like some insurance pool or you ha you have to act as like a backstop for the protocol, whatever. So I think that that that's a better model. But just straight paying people for staking, you know, and and not giving and them not taking on any risk, I think uh, is too early and probably not the best model going forward. Let's actually camp on this point here because I want to parse this apart. Um, I agree with you in the sense that there's certain laws about finance just are exist no matter what. And, you know, young upstarting protocols shouldn't be paying out dividends because they need that cash flow for themselves. At the same time, I think it would be really important if like the DeFi ecosystem planted a flag and be like, no, we are not a because there's a critique of the legacy financial markets that all of these non-dividend paying stocks are really just a greater fool's analysis like or a greater fool's like valuation theory. It's like, oh, I'm going to buy Apple stock. Why am I buying Apple stock? It doesn't pay me any money, but I'm going to buy it so I can sell it to somebody else at a higher price later, which is a greater fool's like uh, like argument for why you think that's uh, Apple does st stock buybacks, too. I guess that's another uh, sure, thing. Too. It's like too. the it's like right. the Wi-Fi model, right? right. Where. Uh, essentially, you you would uh, um, buy it because you you know that they're going to buy it back, and mm -hmm. it doesn't matter if they're not going to burn it or whatever. Um, they're still buying it back, which adds buy pressure. But I get what you're saying. Like mm -hmm. there is definitely a faith based or greater right. full element, if you want to call it, to a lot of these things. But yeah, sorry, go on. Well, so so we have the option to pay dividends to token holders, which is one option. We can buy back and 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 kind of make or doubt is the buy back and burn. Uh, YFI is buy back and put it in the treasury. YFI is uh, and urine is also buying back ETH and putting ETH on the treasury. And so th these are three different ways to like add value to your protocol: dividends, um, buybacks, and then ETH, ETH, and and stable coins. Put that on the treasury. And I actually think buying uh, Dai or or USCC or ETH and putting that on your on the treasury and inside the protocol, which is governed by token holders is actually a nice compromise, because that allows the protocol to still tap into the revenue that they're generating. But it allows for the governance tokens to govern over what is a growing mountain of cash. And so that's a pretty direct way to add value to the token. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Definitely. Monthly average borrowing volume on Aave has just gone up through the roof. Uh, and so in June 2021, we are already past where we were in May. Uh, e e despite the decreasing uh, crypto asset prices, borrowing volume continue to, continues to skyrocket with Aave. Uh, it's, it's probably going to breach $10 billion in the next couple days, which is absolutely crazy. So tip of that has Aave uh, has not stopped growing since day one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would be curious to see which assets people are borrowing here because 
obviously in when the market's bullish people borrow stable coins to go long on things but are people borrowing like eth or btc or wrapped bitcoin or whatever to short it right now um you know i i'd be just, i'd be very curious to see where this borrowing volume is coming from actually yeah uh shout out to whoever put this uh trick together uh token terminal maybe maybe you can answer that question uh, and then the last section in the markets before we get to it releases, Kathy Wood bought the dip. ARK Invest purchases 1 million GBT, GBTC shares. So those are the the uh, the uh, trusts out of Grayscale. Uh, not only is Bitcoin in a dip, but the Grayscale BT, GBTC has had a discount to it. Uh, and so Kathy Wood wanted to take uh, advantage of that discount by buying a bunch of GBTC. So discounted Bitcoin with a discounted uh, asset uh, wrapper around Bitcoin. So Kathy Woods thinks that this is a really good deal. And then also the conversation of ETFs comes up because as soon as Grayscale has, in, they've communicated their intentions to turn GPTC into an ETF as soon as they can. And as soon as that happens, uh, the the discount on GPTC just immediately gets eliminated and the thing will immediately trade on par with the uh, assets under management. Uh, and so if that happens anytime soon, this will be a good trade. Anthony, any thoughts here? Yeah, I mean, the, the trade really is hoping that the, the discount goes away. Um, and, you know, you you were able to buy kind of like uh, Bitcoin at a, at a steep discount here and then, and then obviously sell it later on. But uh, yeah, I guess uh, it's it's a risky play uh, for sure. And I, I've seen charts that a lot of these GBTC is kind of things are unlocking over the next month where Bitcoin basically becomes liquid and these kind of um, people can close the ARB. So maybe that's why she did it because she is betting on that um, that kind of like spread being closed due to the unlocks. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see what happens there. But the thing is, is that if Bitcoin goes below the discount that um, GPTC was at, like if spot Bitcoin goes below it, then it becomes like a really bad trade. So it's, it's, it's definitely risky. But I mean, Kathy Wood uh, from ARC obviously knows what she's doing. So it'd be, I'd be very curious to see how this plays out for her. All right, guys, we are going to get into releases. There's a lot of hot stuff that came out in the last week. But first, we're going to talk about some of these fantastic sponsors that make this show possible. Bankless is proud to be supported by Uniswap. Uniswap is a new paradigm in asset exchange infrastructure. Instead of a cumbersome order book system where trades are matched with other humans, Uniswap is an autonomous piece of software on Ethereum, which is what Ryan and I call a money robot. No human counterparties or centralized intermediaries, just autonomous code on Ethereum. Input the token you want to sell and receive the token you want to buy. Something brand new in the Uniswap ecosystem is the Uniswap Grants program is now accepting applications for grants. We have been saying this for a while and we'll say it again. DAOs have money and they are in need of labor. If you think that you have something to contribute to the Uniswap DAO, apply for a grant to Uniswap. Just look at the size of the Uniswap treasury. It's almost $3 billion. This mountain of capital is looking for labor. Do you have something of value to contribute to the Uniswap DAO? No matter how big or small your idea is, you can apply for a uni grant at unigrants.org and help steer Uniswap in the direction that you think it should go. That's exactly what we did to get Uniswap to be a sponsor for Bankless, and you can do the same for your project. Thank you, Uniswap, for sponsoring Bankless. Aave is a borrowing and lending protocol on Ethereum and just recently released Aave version 2, which has a ton of cool new features that makes using Aave even more powerful. 
With Aave, you can leverage the full power of DeFi, Money Legos, Yield, and Composability all in one application. On Aave, there are a ton of assets that you can deposit in order to gain yield, and all of those same assets can also be borrowed from the protocol if you have deposited collateral. Here you can see me getting a 200 USDC loan against my portfolio of a number of different DeFi tokens and ETH. I'll choose a variable interest rate because it's a lower rate than the stable interest rate option, but I could choose the stable interest rate option if I wanted to lock that interest rate in permanently. One of Aave's V2 features is the ability to swap collateral without having to withdraw your assets, trade them on Uniswap, and then deposit them back into Aave. Aave does all of this for you all in one seamless transaction, so you don't have to repay loans in order to change the collateral you have backing them. Check out the power of Aave at Aave.com. That's A-A-V-E.com. All right, guys, we are back with releases. First release is another deployment on to Arbitrum. Future Swap, Future Swap V3 going to Arbitrum. Uh, Anthony, uh, I know you like Arbitrum. Uh, got any opinions on uh, Future Swap and Arbitrum? I think the most uh, exciting thing about this is that FutureSwap is not deploying to layer one. They're only deploying to Arbitrum as layer two. And I think this is actually going to be what happens going forward, where teams aren't going to necessarily deploy to layer one because there will be no point because we're expecting users to just go to layer two and that'll be the kind of user layer. So why would you even deploy to layer one? Unless, you know, you're you're like protocol that 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 can can take advantage of layer one in terms of like liquidity uh pools and things like that and and just building liquidity there but i think generally a lot of projects are just going to go for the layer two approach uh now when when launching their maybe new versions or or kind of like a new product i've seen like a few of them uh recently where they say we're launching natively on optimism or we're launching natively on this layer two because they really don't see the point to launching on layer one because they have to launch on layer two anyway and i've been speaking a lot about this on the refuel on on the, my daily kind of youtube videos that i do where i'm saying that it, it, the reason why I don't believe in like a, a multi-chain future, or like a, a multi-chain future where like 20, 30, 40 different chains exist is because the overhead is, is intense there for, for, for DAP developers because developers don't want to have to maintain like 20 different instantiations of their app. Like it's too hard to do that. Uh, you have to kind of like monitor the, uh, the different kind of like parameters on each chain. You'd have to upgrade it on each chain whenever you do an upgrade or, ch or change anything. Governance would have to govern like 20 different kind of instantiations. So I, I believe that we're going to only have a handful of them so i think that that handful will obviously include uh ethereum layer twos and maybe there's some other chains that get, get some kind of traction here but uh yeah going forward i i think more and more teams are just going to natively uh launch on layer two or just like completely migrate to layer two i think synthetics is actually not going to be on layer one once their layer two migration is complete uh they want to get off layer one completely so that is the future of ethereum for sure i believe yeah, and I think it's a really a interesting sign of, of already some level of maturity on uh, these L2s, very early indications of this because people are just choosing to not even bother with the L1 anymore, which kind of leaves the L1 to what it's really supposed to do, which is really just traffic our assets and our value between other L2s. Um, some interesting piece of Ethereum trivia, trivia for you guys. FutureSwap was actually the first, I believe, the first governance token in their beta. And so if you came and used FutureSwap, which is a perpetuals exchange uh, protocol, uh, they would actually give the be their beta users their governance token. And this was before comp liquidity mining was even introduced. Uh, and this is actually what turned uh, Dan Elzer's attention into governance tokens and liquidity mining uh, because they uh, FutureSwap had so much success in their beta that they had to shut it down because they were too nervous because it was an unaudited contract. And 
like I think $200 million got yeeted into this unaudited contract because people wanted to farm the governance tokens before we even called it farming and governance tokens. Uh, and so like sound familiar, like unaudited contracts yeeting $200 million, uh, fun, fun little uh, piece of Ethereum trivia right there. All right, guys, uh, another deployment on NL2 is the graph is now working with optimism on their main mainnet launch to help scale Ethereum. The graph, the way that I use uh, uh, the metaphor I use to help explain the graph, it's like Chainlink, but reversed. Uh, so Chainlink wants to bring uh, outside data to Ethereum. The graph wants to bring Ethereum data to the outside and allows you to consume and output Ethereum data. Uh, and it looks like they are going to work with optimism to do the same thing for optimism. Anthony, any thoughts here? Yeah, every layer two and, you know, layer one chain needs this supporting infrastructure. So there's actually like a core set that um, uh, that I consider to be supporting infrastructure. And that is something like Infura and Alchemy, which are uh, node infrastructure providers. The graph, which is middleware, as you said, it brings data inside Ethereum to outside of Ethereum. People will use the graph without even knowing it because it sits in the background of pretty much every DeFi front end that you use, uh, especially things like Zappa. They, they use the graph in the background there. Um, you know, there's Chainlink, which for oracles, uh, there's, uh, you know, there's uh, block explorers like the Etherscan like block explorer. And if you've, if you, if people have been paying attention, Arbitrum and Optimism are basically on neck and neck uh, in terms of integrations right now. And I believe Polygon also has, has all of this support. And I think this is the reason why Optimism was delayed back in March. They didn't have any of this infrastructure in place, which means that, no, that developers couldn't even do anything on the layer two. And that's why I believe that Arbitrum went a little bit of different kind of route here and said, okay, well, we're going to have a developer mainnet. We're going to get all this supporting infrastructure in place and live, and then we're going to launch to the public because there's no point launching to the public if you don't have this infrastructure because you want to give them the same experience that they have on layer one, just with cheaper fees. And you can't do that without this infrastructure. So this is really, really positive. Um, but I expect obviously um, all the layer twos to, to kind of have this supporting infrastructure before they launch in any kind of like big way to users. Right. Yeah. So all the people that are interesting to get on layer twos and see when it, when is it coming? When is it coming? When is it coming? Like, yo guys, developers got to go first. Like they got to actually build the stuff that we all want to use. All right. Moving on into more raises, uh, risk Harbor debuts on mainnet with a round of funding. I, risk Harbor, it looks like a competitor to Nexus mutual for on chain smart contract, uh, protocol insurance. So if your smart contract get, has a bug or an exploit, you could buy uh, protection from Harbor. Uh, and so not only are they launching their application, but they're also announcing their $3.25 million seed round led by Pantera capital and framework ventures, um, uh, and additional support from Coinbase ventures, digital currency group, bank capital, Nima capital. Uh, Anthony, do you know anything about risk Harbor? These, these guys are new to me yeah they're new to me as well i ha hadn't heard about them until uh until this phrase i think they were in stealth so that's why but uh essentially yeah i mean this is just another kind of i guess insurance protocol out there uh like nexus mutual and uh insurace and i think like cover protocol i mean there's, there's a bunch of them out there right now but that's a strong list of investors that they have there and and i think that um you know the fact that they're already live on mainnet is really really cool uh i am you know you can get i think if you scroll down a bit it, it shows which apps they already support uh i think all the popular DeFi apps uh yeah like curve Yearn, Ave, Compound, Uniswap, um, you know, and their apps ready to ready to be used, and it's 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 really beautiful. I like I like the interface and everything like that. So yeah, I mean, we definitely need more insurance kind of like protocols uh, than not. But the, the the thing about insurance protocols, and I was talking to a friend about this yesterday, 
they need to be battle tested. Um, you know, before I trust one of these protocols, um, I, I need to see that they are completely battle tested and I need to see that they uh, actually pay out on claims. Uh, like if they don't pay out the claims and they're not really much of a, a good insurance protocol. So I think Nexus Mutual is still obviously the leader here, but good to see more competition hitting the market. Um, and I saw you highlighted that, that Pomp invested in this and I saw this too. And I was like, mm -hmm. what a, what, what a, what a, you know, what a, what a laugh because I mean, for those who don't know, Pomp has been like, you know, crapping all over Ethereum-based DeFi and now he's investing in it. I mean, it's like money talks, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And interestingly enough, when he tweeted out that he was investing in Risk Harbor, he used DeFi, but did not use Ethereum. Uh, and so mm -hmm. uh, I, I'd like to see Pomp spin that narrative. But also Naval Ravikant, also on the list of investors. Naval, that's pretty cool. So really strong to, uh, backing here. So maybe DeFi is be about to become a lot less risky if you buy insurance. Maybe the insurance ecosystem is, is you know, getting, it's definitely getting another player. So uh, maybe that part of the industry is going to uh, build out a little bit. Uh, Yield Protocol also Got some money. Excited to announce the close of our Series A, uh, Series A funding led by Paradigm and also to share some new details up to version 2 of Yield. So there has been some money being thrown around. Uh, and Paradigm, this is not the first... Uh, uh, or Paradigm has led a bunch of rounds in the last few weeks. And so they are dishing out the cash. Anthony, any thoughts here? Yeah, I mean, $10 million Series A is pretty pretty positive. Uh, I think uh, the Yield team has been around for a little while now doing kind of fixed rate things, uh, fixed rate borrowing. I think they had something for, for MakerDAO deployed as well. Uh, but it's cool to see that their V2 is coming soon. And yeah, this is a good list of investors. They have uh, uh, Paradigm as the leader, and then they have uh, like Framework. Uh, um, people will know Variant and DeFi Alliance and a bunch of others there. So yeah, really, really cool to, to see this. Last but definitely not least, Visa and PayPal join Blockchain Capital in their new fund, which is $300 million. I guess this week is just funds deploying capital and raising more money week. Uh, congratulations, Spencer Bogart. That's the guy uh, pictured here and also Blockchain Capital for getting Visa and PayPal on board for Blockchain Capital. And again, $300 million about to be deployed into this industry. Uh, that That's a, a lot of money. And this is like the third time we've been talking about this on this weekly roll-up. Uh, at some point, I'm like, yo, guys, can you like buy some ETH? Can you like pump the ETH price a little <laughs> bit? Like, come on, come on. Yeah, yeah. And that, I think that's a, a funny thing to think about is just like, you know, a lot of these funds aren't going to be buying ETH directly. They're going to be investing in like private rounds and things like that. But I think just, just generally more money coming into this ecosystem is good for the entire ecosystem. I really don't think that, uh, you know, it, it'd be very hard to measure what effect uh, the, the fact that the money goes into, you know, private rounds versus ETH has. And like, if that money had gone into ETH, would it have actually done stuff? Because at the end of the day, these, these kind of like, I guess, private rounds, like Seed, Series A's are done on the apps that build on Ethereum. And those apps are what add a lot of value to Ethereum. So it should still flow to ETH um, generally. But this goes back to like the fact protocol thesis and stuff like that so it's a much deeper discussion but still i think any money coming into this ecosystem is fine uh but i mean okay actually i should qualify that by saying that not just any money i think that the dumb retail money that comes in and buys dog coins is actually pretty poisonous uh for the short to medium term because it means a lot of money exits the ecosystem and it means a lot of people get wrecked so i i think money going into like just you know the builders like funding builders like actual builders is is the the right approach here Totally. Yeah. Retail should, I mean, 
there needs to be legitimate things to invest in if we want retail to be smart and come into this industry. And at some point we need VCs to like fund and like be intentional about where this money goes. And so um, that's what I see happening here. Uh, for those that really want to follow along with the Ave ecosystem, Ave Grants Dow at Ave Grants on Twitter announces Ave News, a recap of the latest updates and happenings in the Ave ecosystem. Apparently, Ave is so big that it needs its own newsletter to keep up with what's going on in Ave. Yeah, yeah, I was actually looking at this the other day. I'm like, wow, uh, this is incredible. To put the, the newsletter together would have taken a, a few hours because there were so many uh, kind of things in there. But yeah, the fact that just one app on Ethereum, yes, it's it's probably the biggest app on Ethereum right now. But just the fact that this one has so much to report on each week is is, is incredible. And I mean, I love it. And I love that this was launched by the Ave Grant, Grants DAO, like by the Ave DAO and the Ave token holders and just coming together to to do this. It's It's really, really cool. Yeah, um, and this kind of feels a similar vibe to perhaps like an investor newsletter, right? You know, hey, hey like if you are an Ave token holder, you know, who do you think reads the Ave newsletter? It's probably Ave token holders, uh, and so the Ave newsletter is probably saying, hey, token holders, here's what we're up to. Uh, and so at some point, it's just good investor relations to have a newsletter like this and can definitely re uh, replace some of the very slow quarterly reports that we would get from from TradFi. Uh, not t t uh, specifically crypto related, but Brave Browser, which uh, has, it's a very crypto forward and, and uh, a browser used by crypto people because it kind of shares some of the ethos of crypto and also has a basic attention token to pay for payments. Um, it's great. Brave Browser now has a search engine. Uh, so now rivaling Google and Bing in the search engine game. Uh, and I think the reason why I wanted to talk about this, even though it's not really super crypto focused, uh, is that other than the fact that crypto people love Brave Browser, is that uh, all of the values and ethos is being baked into Brave Browser uh, of the crypto industry. And now the Brave Browser is venturing off into more competitive territories with a search engine. And so I'm rooting for him. Like, let, let's change the game with, with the values and, and ethos of our industry. Let's change the game of some Web2 technologies. Anthony, any opinions here? I think this is cool, but it's also like a very uphill battle. I mean, there's DuckDuckGo that's been trying to go uh, have a go at Google for a while. It's been growing and and everything, but it, it's still dwarfed by Google. I mean, Google at this point is like a monopoly in the search engine kind of arena. I don't know if any free market competition can actually take down Google. And, sure. you know, I mean, maybe in the very long term, something could happen here. Uh, but like taking any market share away from Google, I guess, is like a positive. But still, uh, they have such a stranglehold on on search and search is their, their only product, really. I mean, Google has other products, but search makes, I think, um, more than 90% or even higher than that of their revenue. So search really is their core product. And they've been refining that for like 20 years and they have their own algorithms i mean i i'm not saying that people shouldn't compete but like i i would i'm curious to see where this goes because there's already been other attempts like bing and stuff like that not even bing has put much of a dent in google and bing is supported by microsoft which obviously makes it the default search engine on all of their um windows operating systems and it's still not competing with google because google i mean google's a verb right like mm -hmm. um it's like just google that right um or maybe i'm not using the word right there but yeah, like just right. just google that google it yeah go yeah yeah that. just 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 google it right mm -hmm. like it's, it's not like just search it on the web it's just <laughs> google it <laughs> totally totally all right moving on coinbase enters the japanese market after completing registrations with financial watchdog i didn't actually know coinbase wasn't in japan but now it is uh so cool coinbase released in japan anthony any thoughts here 
from all I know about Japan is that their financial or system or generally like their investing kind of like system there is very quiet. If you look at Japan's stock index, it only recently got back to its all time high after like 30 or 40 years or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're I, generally, I don't think uh, for some reason, Japan is just not very, um, uh, very good with financial markets. Like their financial markets are very quiet, not very speculative. I don't know how much they do with crypto, but yeah, I mean, there's a Japanese community. I, I, I and we obviously um, we went to um, DevCon in Osaka uh, and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, it's just, uh, it's. I didn't know that it wasn't there yet. So that just mm-hmm. speaks to the fact that they're very slow on their right. financial markets, it seems. Yeah, maybe to some degree that just stagnation in the Japanese financial markets just made the financial industry really unexciting and allowed people to just like work in slow motion, I guess. The last mm-hmm. release that we've got this week is coming out of Bankless, my favorite podcast, introducing a new show, uh, me and my uh, new co-host, Michael Wong, uh, doing the Top Signal show, which is going to be all about entertainment and comedy, some gags, some bits, some jokes. Uh, Anthony, you are actually going to be one of our very first guests, along with a DeFi dad and Kevin Awaki, coming to a show new you, near you Tuesday night. So everyone, mark it on your calendars. This coming Tuesday evening is when we will be uh, live streaming uh, Top Signal, the very first episode. Uh, we got some, we got a cool agenda lined up for you, Anthony. It's gonna be, it's gonna be a fun time. Are you ready for it? Yeah, I'm really excited for this. And yeah, I mean, as you said, you have an agenda lined up, but I haven't seen it yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it's gonna be really fun. You've been me about this for a little while. That project that you guys are working on. Um, and yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited for this. It's, uh, I think. You know, it's funny because like a lot of the the stuff that like we all do, like um, you know the, the roll ups, the refuels, the weekly recaps on EthHub and stuff. There's not much comedy sprinkled in, right? It just right. focuses on like the news and the, and the fundamental stuff. It's but work. I think it's work. It's work yeah, to produce it, it re- and it's really, work to listen to. Yeah, re- really. Like it's 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 part of that ar- arena. Whereas like a lot of crypto really is memes and and comedy mm-hmm. and jokes and like all of crypto Twitter is just one giant shit post. So, yeah. uh, you know, uh, capturing that in kind of like a a, a, a pod. A, kind of like podcast video form. I think it's going to be really fun. I, I hope it works out. Hopefully we are as funny as I think that we are. Uh, we are about to find <laughs> out. <laughs> All right, getting into news. EIP-1559 live on the Robson testnet. Uh, and so one step closer to getting EIP live on the Ethereum mainnet, not quite here yet, but we've got some pretty interesting um, uh, infrastructure already going live. Here's Tim Bako saying, we have a block. Took a little bit longer than expected, but London is live on Robston. Um, and then we have this new watchtheburn.com website, which uh, is only pointing towards Robson because it's only on, on testnet right now. But I think this is going to be a website that we are going to revisit as a community quite often because we all are going to enjoy watching Ether burn. And so watchtheburn.com is going to be a website to watch Ether get burned. It's a little bit slow to load right now, but I promise it works. It does this sometimes for me as well. <laughs> Anthony, any thoughts about get- EIP-1559 live on Robson? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's obviously super exciting to see that it's finally live on a public test net here. Um, you know, Girly comes next in a week. Uh, and then like another week after that will be Rinkaby. And then we'll get a mainnet date, I think, sooner rather than later. Um, so, yeah, I mean, yeah, you can see here on the site, like uh, how much ETH has been burned. 
but it's funny because I, I saw that um, there's like a lot of transaction spam happening right now in Robston to test 1559. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, trying to, to break it because essentially this is what test nets are for. We want to see if we can break the mechanisms. And, you know, that's why 88,000 ETH has been burned in like two days. <laughs> um, Robson you know, ETH uh, specifically. Right? Yeah, Robson ETH, exactly. Yeah, I should mention that. This is not real ETH. So don't, <laughs> don't get your hopes up, guys. It's not real ETH. But um, <laughs> one day, uh, one day. Yeah, one day. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And this is total fees. So one day we're going to have have like total fees be like a million ETH burn. It's going to be really cool to see that that um, play out. So yeah, exciting developments here. Yeah, not only is the testnet testing out how much ETH can we burn, but the content producers are t testing out how much ETH burn can we talk about. Uh, so we're in test yeah. mode, <laughs> testnet mode left and right. All right, moving on. Uh, this is a tweet out of fearless leader Ryan Sean Adams goes, seriously, Venmo, nice job on the ETH description. Revolutionizing the way we borrow, lend, and trade value with each other over the internet, all without the need for banks. Uh, yeah, th this is not something that you see often. I think when you see like, you know, uh, web two and, and TradFi companies try and explain Ethereum, they usually don't get it right, but Venmo got it right. Uh, Anthony, have you seen this description before? It's absolutely, absolutely fantastic. I, I haven't seen it. And that is a really, really great way to put it. I think, um, you know, very simple as well, like, uh, for, for like, I guess normies, you can call them to understand, right? Not doesn't use our like typical crypto DeFi jargon. It, it, it just says, you know, this is what you can do with it. This is the value and you know, go, here, here you go. <laughs> the apps built on the Ethereum blockchain aren't like your other apps. Some allow, some of them allow you to lend, borrow and exchange crypto without going through a bank. To interact with these apps, you need to make transactions on the Ethereum blockchain. Each transaction requires uh, fees paid in ETH. And then it has a section as to what makes Ethereum so interesting. Uh, they really got this one right. And and like I said, uh, this is not something that you, usually people don't get things right about Ethereum. Usually people just miss left and right, but nice job. Nice job, uh, crypto team over at Venmo. Uh, Anthony, mm -hmm. I'm sure you heard about this one. This was a little bit unfortunate, but staking company uh, sues Fireblocks, which is a custodian with a lawsuit over the private keys lost to, uh, after they lost $75 million in ETH. So there was a staking as a service company, which was using this Fireblocks as a custodian to custody their staked ETH and Fireblocks lost the private keys. <laughs> Whoops. Uh, and so that's a little bit unfortunate. Uh, if any of the listeners had their ETH inside of uh, the staking as a service company, uh, I'm sorry that you lost your ETH. Uh, hopefully the settlement works out for you. For the rest of us, uh, Ether just got a little bit more scarce. Yeah, yeah. This is like, I mean, there wasn't just this, there was also, uh, so this was stake count. There was also shared stake uh, recently that kind of uh, lost some ETH as well. Um, but this just speaks to the fact that what we have all been trying to, to drum home with people is that if you can, if you are able to, if you have that 32 ETH um, minimum, stake on your own like for for your own sake don't don't go through a third party provider like i mean not to say that all third party providers are bad you know there's some of them that have like insurance and things like that like exchanges and and, and all that sort of stuff but um you know you're always giving up control over your private key uh by by staking with kind of one of these third party providers at this point in time i think post merge you'll be able to like do some kind of like delegation where you keep the private key and then you give your signing key to our third party. But even then, like this third party could sign uh, something that goes against the protocol rules and get you slashed or whatever. So at the end of the day, like I always advocate for solo staking. Um, if you have the 32 ETH, if you don't, uh, and you need to kind of like stake with the provider, I would suggest decentralized things like Rocket Pool. Uh, I don't think Rocket Pool's Rocket live Pool's just yet. yet. But yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. 
I suggest that kind of stuff. Um, but then if you if you have to go through like more of a centralized provider, I suggest something like Lido because at least they take your ETH and like distribute it among different staking providers. And you also get like STE, which, which is a representation of that ETH and you can do things with that in DeFi. Um, I, 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 I typically steer clear of like just centralized exchanges, like especially the Binance's of the world. I would never right. ever stake through Binance. Um, uh, but like Coinbase, I guess is the, is the, is, is another option. But again, if you're able to stake on your own. <laughs> yeah. There's a reason why the Ethereum, the Ethereum 2.0 has taken such a long time to get out the door. And that's because, uh, developers and the Ethereum researchers worked really, really hard to make it easy for us to stake at home. So we should take advantage of the fact that they put all of that blood, sweat, and tears into making Ethereum accessible and uh, allowing you to provide security to Ethereum from the comfort of your own home. Uh, and this also speaks to the difficulty of just private key management, but also the um, uh, the uh, Stakehound's claim against Fireblocks and why they're uh, trying they're going after them and trying to sue them is that they just claim negligence. Uh, they, in a quote in the article says, in, a short, in short, a series of errors by Fireblocks caused the loss of two of the keys that are part of a three of four signature, this is a multi-sig, for the shards that form the withdrawal key. Uh, Fireblocks did not generate their private keys in a production environment and did not include the private keys required to decrypt their two key shares in the backup and lost both the keys. Uh, kind of a big whoopsie. All right, let's go ahead and move on here to Scoopy Truples. If you guys watched the Bankless Weekly Rollup last week, we talked about the, uh, I don't even know what to call it, a bug in the Alchemix Al ETH vault that allowed people to deposit ETH, borrow Al ETH. Uh, from Alchemix and then also withdraw their collateral. Uh, and and so people got to borrow free ETH from the protocol. And so they have asked people, hey, can you give it back? And almost 50% of the ETH has been returned. And so CryptoGucci says, uh, shout out to CryptoGucci, uh, did you receive free ETH slash Al ETH from the Alchemix contract bug? Alchemix is airdropping Alkix, uh, the ALCX token, the, the governance token for Alchemix, in the equivalent amount of ETH or Al ETH that you received. And they've generated this uh, special uh, page on their website uh, to go and return that ETH. And a decent amount of ETH has actually been returned, which is which is just overall like, well, good, good for the protocol because we need to, to clear that debt, but also a very interesting indicator of the uh, holisticness of the Alchemix community. Scooby Truples on Twitter says, I have a feeling people who return their Al ETH or ETH to Alchemix will be in several lists that goes to benefit them for a long time. A crypto verifiable good person list because no one's forcing them to return this money. They can just keep it if they wanted to, um, but yet they are returning it because they are good people. Anthony, any thoughts here? Yeah, I mean, it's really cool to see that basically what half of it has been returned so far, mm -hmm. just under half of it, I think, uh, mm -hmm. has been returned so far, uh, which is awesome. And yeah, I mean, I think that this is like the best bug that could have happened. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's not, I mean, it's not a huge bug. And even if like not all the funds get returned, there's other ways to kind of, I guess, uh, recapitalize the system here. So yeah, really, really cool to see this. And I think, you know, if you were part of this and you got some bonus ETH, just return it. I mean, really at the end of the day, we're all good stewards within Ethereum. We should definitely do this, but I, I, I kind of get it. Like for some people, if they receive like all this ETH, say they got like 50 bonus ETH back, that could be like life changing for them. I, I get it. I really mm -hmm. do get it. But at the same time, Time, it's not yours technically right it is mm -hmm. the protocols and you should definitely be a good steward here and return it if you if you're if you um kind of like suffered from this i guess 
and what Scoopy is trying to say, and I kind of agree with, or at least I think people should consider that like, if you, if you have an account, an Ethereum address that got Ether or LETH that shouldn't have, and you return it, that account is now verifiably a good person. And uh, I think a, a lot of, um, it, it's, it's beneficial to have a good footprint in DeFi, right? And so if you use Uniswap, if, you, uh, if you've done a bunch of things, you got a ton of airdrops from just being a DeFi participant. And I think doing this and returning your Ether stamps your Ethereum address as somebody somebody's Ethereum address that people want to just include as a reward because they want you to use their protocol because you are provably a good person. This is just good surface area to have. And so it might work out in the long term to actually return the Ether because you want to show to the Ethereum community that you did something that you didn't have to do and you're a good person. Yep, yep, exactly. All right, moving on to uh, Reddit is now selling three Ethereum NFTs. Reddit is already a very much an Ethereum aligned platform, but they are selling three NFTs of its mascot, Snoo, uh, which uh, I've always enjoyed the Reddit alien. I always kind of thought he was a, a cute little character. Uh, and now if, if you want to, you can buy Snoo, the NFT. Anthony, you're going to buy any of these NFTs? Uh, probably not. I don't think I'm going to be able to afford these for starters. I feel like they're going to get bit up a lot, probably. but yeah, I mean, Reddit, Reddit has been doing a lot of things in Ethereum. They did their scaling challenge a while ago. They've done the moons and, and things like community point system. Uh, yeah, it's just cool to see them doing like NFTs, uh, now. And I think these are going to be very, very valuable in the long run, uh, because of the fact that these will be the first NFTs that Reddit does. Um, and I'm sure they'll do more going down the line. So yeah, cool to see them just jumping into that arena there. Yeah, I've always been optimistic that Reddit can really be a use case for Ethereum just because they, they have their their community reward points, right? Like what happens if we can, like we and the ER ETH trader community had their t uh, donut token experiment. I think there's a lot of potential with tokenized communities and Reddit to really become aligned. Uh, and so like Reddit might be one of the biggest and most and largest communities that are non-Ethereum native that come onto Ethereum and start using Ethereum in order to just better their own community. Uh, and so if that does happen, that actually would uh, indicate a lot of value in these NFTs uh, because the NFT focused community on Reddit would, uh, and the fact that Reddit uses Ethereum would bestow more, even more value on the first NFTs that Reddit even made. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep, totally. Moving on to Bitcoin stuff, Anthony's favorite section. Uh, we got some crazy Bitcoin news out of China this week where uh, it has now been basically confirmed to be by, based off the exodus of hash flow that China is straight up mining or banning all Bitcoin miners. Not banning Bitcoin, but mine, uh, banning Bitcoin miners. And so Nick Carter tweeted out uh, or wrote an article actually that I thought was uh, pretty, pretty interesting where he goes, go west Bitcoin, unpacking the great hash rate migration. And he says that by now it should be clear that the hash rate migration out of China is real. Miners are leaving China for good. As of April of 2020, an estimated 65% of Bitcoin hash rate was domiciled in China. And with confirmed bans across that uh, across the country, he says that figure will be far lower in the 12 months from now. And he says the precise magnitude and schedule of the westward move is currently unknown. There's a lot of conversations going around about how this is actually going to be really good for Bitcoin. Uh, TM, this is good for Bitcoin. Uh, but A, like I said, BTC, the asset, not banned in China. And this actually does a decent amount of improving the decentralization of Bitcoin's hash rate because so much of it was in China. Now it's going anywhere else. Uh, and so 
maybe that makes you know us regulators more comfortable with bitcoin uh, who knows uh, and also china's generally been the dirtiest uh, hash rate source for bitcoin and so any hash rate migration out of china is likely going into greener and greener pastures anthony any opinions about the btc hash rate out of uh, migration out of china yeah, I mean, this is probably the main reason why the crypto markets have been so weak, I think, is just yeah, like all of this coming out of China. Um, it's definitely like, it's funny because at first, whenever you hear China doing something with Bitcoin, you don't believe it because it's like the boy who cried wolf, right. right? They always did this over the years. But yeah, I mean, as Nick says, this is very, very real. Uh, miners are leaving China in a very big way. Uh, and that's going to cause short-term disruption at, at the end of the day. And, you know, I mean... Uh, it's funny because I have different opinions on, on proof of work and Bitcoin, but I think that objectively speaking, miners moving out of China is a good thing. Regardless of your views on proof of work and mining, whatever, China has always been kind of like that centralizing uh, vector for Bitcoin mining. But at the same time, it's as you said, it's also been a wasteful kind of miner too. So if it can move towards more greener kind of energy sources, then uh, that's that's good for, I guess, like the industry as a whole as well. There's also conversations that China is doing this in order to prepare to really push their Chinese central bank digital currency, which is confusing to me because if you really were doing that, why wouldn't you also ban Bitcoin? Um, and, and to some degree, I'm a little bit confused with China's strategy here because China, as somebody that wants to disrupt the U.S. dollar and the power of the U.S., might actually be more interested in aligning with Bitcoin than rejecting it. Uh, and so now we are can be definitely just confirm that China has no interest in putting Bitcoin on the balance sheet. Otherwise, it would have been subsidizing Bitcoin miners, not banning them. Uh, and so the, the China Bitcoin story is going to be a, a, a long one. It's going to unfold for, for years and years to come. Uh, so we will be following it. Out of the daily huddle, Microsailor MicroStrategy now owns over 100,000 uh, Bitcoins with new purchase. He is by far the largest single holder of Bitcoin. I'm pretty sure that's true. Uh, and now over the $100,000 or 100,000 Bitcoin mark. Uh, Anthony, is is this crazy or what? Uh, what's your take here? I mean, first of all, I think Tim Draper or the Winklevoss twins or Eric Voorhees may own more BTC than, oh than he does here. Um, I know Tim Draper owns a, a lot of BTC. Um, he bought them a while ago, but yeah, I mean, this obviously Sailor's one of the largest single holders now. Uh, and, and, and I mean, it's, I guess it's not just him. It's micro strategy. That's, that's kind of holding it. It's him. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, te technically yes. But um, I think it's funny because he bought these at like 37 K or 30, k or something like that um a couple of weeks ago and i think his average buy price uh yeah it's it, it, i think it's yeah the average buying price is twenty six thousand. so if it goes below twenty six thousand, he's underwater on on all of it um right. and he's not very much above water right now but i think he's such a bitcoin bull like uh and you know bitcoin maximus whatever you want to call him that he's going to go down with the ship uh, at the end of the day he's just going to keep buying as much as he can mm -hmm. in in any way that he can and he's not gonna he's just gonna buy whenever he doesn't care uh, which seems to be the case here. So he's not trying to buy the dips or whatever. He's just trying to buy as much Bitcoin as possible. But I was seeing some chatter about this being like a pretty big negative that having one kind of like person, especially someone who's pretty volatile, like I don't know if people have seen, but Sailor seems to be pretty volatile as a person. Having him own so much of the supply and having that as like an overhang where people say, well, this guy owns so much of it. What's stopping him from just dumping it whenever he wants to and like putting huge downward pressure on the price? Um, so there's that concern. I don't know if that's a huge concern. Like, I feel like at this point, Sailor has pretty much signaled that, you know, he's not going to sell this Bitcoin at these prices. Maybe he sells it much, much higher than where it is now. Um, but he's definitely not selling around here. So 
yeah, I guess net positive, I guess, for the ecosystem in terms of like price movement, uh, but it'll probably play out over the longer term. Yeah, yeah I, I agree there. It would be really nice if Sailor had a, an, an ally kind of going after trying to compete for these Bitcoins rather than it just being him. He really does seem to be trying to like brute force Bitcoin price to go up. It's like, I'll do it myself. Damn it. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I'm going to burn through this one real quick. New York City will become a Bitcoin center, says the city mayoral lead uh, candidate Eric Adams, uh, which actually surprised me when I read this headline. I was ready to have that be Andrew Yang. Turns out Andrew Yang isn't the city's mayoral lead candidate. I'm not, I don't know. I'm not in New York. But either way, seems like New York is getting a Bitcoin-focused mayor. Uh, so that's pretty cool. Uh, a few more things. Um, John McAfee found dead in his prison cell uh, after he was about to be extradited to the United States. For those that uh, aren't familiar, John McAfee was extremely active in crypto in 2017. He's been much less active this time around. Uh, some nefarious activity, I would say. It's definitely some pump and dumps. Uh, and uh, there's been uh, conversations that he's been on the run trying to escape the IRS for not paying taxes. Uh, and so he kind of had this like very questionable last three years of his life. And unfortunately, he was found dead in a prison cell in Catalan. Anthony, uh, what are your takes here? Yeah, I would say it's a lot longer than three years that he's been a controversial kind of colorful figure. He's uh, He's been very eccentric. Sure. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, essentially, like the amount of conspiracy theories that we're going to be hearing about about his death here are going to go on for a very long time because he put out tweets saying, you know, if I die in prison um, and right. don't, uh, I didn't get, uh, I got Epstein essentially, right. right? Like I didn't kill myself; it was someone he front else. He ran and, this event in his tweets. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and people are going to be like, okay, well, did he kill himself or did he get killed? And like, I, I don't know. I just feel like people are going to, you know. Told, told those stories for years to come but i mean a sad life to uh, sorry sad a sad end to a bit of a sad life i think i mean he, he projected as if he was like very happy and things like that but it did seem like he had some mental problems um you know generally so yeah i guess like always sad but um you know i guess that that we probably won't we won't be hearing from him anymore in the crypto ecosystem yeah, uh, I, I he for, to me he's a mixed bag. He's had some really good takes and really interesting like content and like one-liners that have come out. It's like, oh wow, that's really profound. And then he is like provably a part of like a paid pump and dump scheme at the same time. Yeah, yeah, very <laughs> controversial. Yeah. Figure. yeah, definitely. All right, Anthony, I'm gonna burn through some of these so we can save some time here. But Goldman Sachs begins trading on J.P. Morgan's Repo blockchain network, and if I'm not mistaken, J.P. Morgan's uh, blockchain network is a fork of Ethereum called Quorum. It is a private version of Ethereum, so not doing some overnight repo trading, um, and so not one step away from actually using something that looks and feels exactly like Ethereum. The Federal Reserve Bank of Boston announces collaboration with MIT to research digital currencies. Ryan and I, we stopped reporting on the Western world's uh, development into the world of digital currencies because it's just a conversations about people having conversations about digital currencies. Like, oh yeah, we're, we're researching into it. We're looking into it. Uh, once again, China is moving full steam ahead with its digital yuan, actually putting that into production. And the West is continuing to research. Nice job, guys, I guess. Uh, JP Morgan survey says 49 of institutional investors agree cryptocurrency is rat poison, as Warren Buffett said is a fad. The th but the important thing is, is actually more people said that crypto is here to stay than what is probably rat poison squared. And so there is a, a flipping of sorts of people uh, bestowing legitimacy onto this industry. So that is pretty cool. 
South African brothers disappear along with $3.6 billion in Bitcoin from an exit scam on an exchange. Uh, exchanges are a honeypot of assets. This is why we DeFi. If it's not your if it's not your private keys, it's not your coins. And this has always been, in my mind, one of the biggest weaknesses of Bitcoin is because if you want to buy or sell it, you got to give it to an exchange and give up custody of your Bitcoin. And that ultimately becomes a honeypot of uh, of, of uh, interested exploits and attackers. Uh, and so this is why we DeFi. Uh, MLB is a new FTX partner, FTX Exchange. Uh, they also bought the rights to put their name on the uh, Miami Heat basketball uh, arena in, in, in Miami. Uh, and now they are the official cryptocurrency exchange partner of Ma the MLB. Anthony, I know you don't know what the MLB is. It's Major League Baseball. <laughs> I know what the, M I know okay. what the MLB is. <laughs> you know, th this feels very dot-com era to me sure. where like all these companies flush with cash are just doing these random sponsorships. But... I guess, yeah, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah, well, Sam Bankman-Fried is going to put the FTX name on every single arena that he can, it sounds like. All right, guys, we got some really interesting takes coming at you right after we talk for a moment about some of these fantastic sponsors that make this show possible. Balancer is DeFi's most powerful automated market maker. Typical AMMs just have two tokens inside of one liquidity pool, which can lead to fractured liquidity across the many pairs in DeFi. With Balancer, you can access the full power of multiple tokens inside of one single AMM, which unlocks an entirely new playing field of possibility. This makes Balancer an awesome building block for so many different use cases. Balancer pools can make asset indexes, but instead of paying fees to portfolio managers, Balancer lets you collect fees from traders who use your portfolio for liquidity. Additionally, Balancer smart pools can be programmed to have properties that change according to predetermined rules, such as changing the swap fee based on market conditions, or even liquidity bootstrapping pools, which can help you launch and distribute your token with day one liquidity. At Bankless, we used a liquidity bootstrapping pool to sell our BAP t-shirts to much success. Balancer V2 brings powerful new features that makes your money work even harder for you. In V2, idle tokens are capable of generating yield in DeFi without sacrificing liquidity in the pool. To top things off, Balancer is reimbursing all gas costs with BAV rewards, meaning that all your gas costs are returned to your wallet with the Balancer governance token. Balancer's mission is to become the primary source of liquidity in DeFi by providing the most flexible and powerful platform for asset management and decentralized exchange. Dive into the Balancer pools at pools.balancer.exchange. Gemini is the world's most trusted cryptocurrency exchange. I've been a customer of Gemini since I first got into crypto in 2017, and it's been my main exchange of choice to make my crypto buys and sells. Gemini is available in all 50 states and in over 50 countries worldwide. And on Gemini, there are markets for over 30 various different crypto assets, including many of the hot DeFi tokens. And it's one of the few exchanges that has liquid DAI markets. Gemini just launched their Earn program, where you can earn up to 7.4% interest on 26 various crypto assets. If you're tired of paying fees in DeFi, or you don't want to worry about DeFi exploits, but you still want to earn interest on your crypto assets, Gemini Earn is the product for you. Another product I'm stoked to get my hands on is the Gemini Crypto Back Credit Card, which gives you 3% cash back on all of your purchases, but paid to you in your preferred crypto asset. When I get my Gemini credit card, I'm going to make sure that I get my cash back in ETH. So whenever I buy something, I get a little bit of ETH bonus back to me at the same time. You can open up a free account in under three minutes at gemini.com slash go bankless. And if you trade more than $100 within the first 30 days after sign up, you'll be gifted a free $15 Bitcoin bonus. Check them out at gemini.com slash go bankless.
All right, guys, and we are back with the first take. And this comes out of Hasib Qureshi, who says a snapshot of DeFi hacks since 2020 has notices the transition from Ethereum to Binance Smart Chain. So I'm going to blow that up here. But you can see all of these yellow highlighted um, projects are Ethereum. And this is a chronological list of hacks. And all of a sudden, it goes from Ethereum to basically only Binance Smart Chain. Uh, and so that's just interesting. All, all the hacks and exploits are happening on Binance Smart Chain. It kind of just makes you feel that like Binance is kind of just living in Ethereum's wake, right? Like Ethereum had its DeFi summer and then Binance had its DeFi winter. Uh, and now all of the hacks on Ethereum kind of got solved and now Binance is still dealing with them. Anthony, any opinions here? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just like a culture of uh, people actually, you know, on Ethereum, building apps on Ethereum, uh, you know, they're, they're taking more care with it. But also the fact that when you... So maybe I should say that like it's got to do with the lower fees, I think. Like when you have like such low fees to deploy anything for users to kind of like um, play in, then you're going to get more scams. I think this is actually going to happen on layer two, if I'm being honest, where mm -hmm. these generalized layer twos are going to have so much space available available for people. We're going to get so many users on there and there's going to be a lot of rug pulls and scams, I, I think. So and that's going to be interesting to see how the layer twos deal with that because a lot of the layer twos like Arbitrum and Optimism, they're going to be centralized from the start because they're going to have like upgrade keys and admin keys. Are they going to interfere with this? Like, are they going to actually kind of like uh, return funds to users or, or like um, kick people off the off the, the layer two? I, I think if they did that, I'd be very disappointed, to be honest, because um, that goes against like the spirit of what these systems are. But it's going to be interesting. It's very interesting to see like where these rug pulls, I guess, migrate to over time. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Uh, maybe we start to see new... Um... Uh, new colors in there for the different ver Ethereum version two, uh, uh, layer two, excuse me. Um, this is a a take from Greg DiPrecio, who used to work at the Maker Foundation. And this was a conversation that we had about how DAOs are going to operate. And he he says, in my my more complex opinion, after having some, some conversations with me on Twitter, is that DAOs scale in a bell curve where the x-axis is the inverse of efficiency. So as you go higher up, you actually get a less efficient. And he says that DAOs are great with only a few members and they are horrible at a size of a standard organization and also a new paradigm in big numbers. Uh, and the he also says the caveat is that it's exponentially difficult to get over the hump. So what Greg is saying is that DAOs or online organizations are really, really good with maybe just a handful of people, maybe five to 15 to 20 people. And as soon as you get to maybe 50, 100, 150 people, efficiency actually gets really, really terrible. But then maybe when you get into maybe the 500s or thousands or tens of thousands, maybe we actually get some of that efficiency back just because there's so many little worker bees. Anthony, do you have any opinions on this take? I mean, I completely agree with that, but I would also say that this can can, can still apply to like traditional companies. Because if, if anyone's ever worked in a big corporate company, you'll know that the efficiency is like very, very low in those companies uh, as compared to a startup. Uh, I think that's just the nature of uh, just scaling people and scaling like the social kind of layer in general. It's just very hard once you get past a certain point to keep everything cohesive and to keep everyone kind of like informed and managed correctly. But I think, yeah, DAOs definitely, a, a, you could call it like a lean DAO, a DAO with like 20 or less members, like core members that are all kind of like stewarding the protocol along. Um, and they they like take inputs in. It's, it's kind of like the core developers of Ethereum, right? Where they take inputs in from the community. They consider things. They kind of like uh, use that kind of social consensus and things like that. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree here that that DAOs with 100, 100, 150 members as being like core members is not going to scale very well. <laughs> 
And in that same vein, the next take we got is coming out of Mark Balin, who says, from an end user perspective, it isn't, how do I launch a DAO? It's, how do I make money with my friends online as easily as possible? And DAOs are just the best solution. I thought this was a really succinct and powerful statement. Anthony, any thoughts here? Yeah, I mean, I think Mark puts it really well here. That's definitely the feeling that I've been getting is like, you know, like you can basically get together with anyone around the world, whether it be your friends or anyone else, launch a DAO and launch products within that DAO and make money some way and, and kind of like sustain yourself, which I think is really, really cool. Do you think that we need a rebrand for DAOs from DAOs to DOs? I always thought that perhaps we should just call these things digital organizations because a dig uh, decentralized autonomous organization really meant something completely differently. And in my opinion, it's actually just straight up the wrong label. It's, I mean... <laughs> Uh, good luck. <laughs> good luck changing. Uh, this is like the layer two debate, right? Is this a layer two? Is this not a layer two? Mm -hmm. People are going to use the language that right. is easiest to use, the path of least resistance. Right. So even if DAO is technically incorrect, people are going to use that. So I, I, I don't think it's worth trying to fight that. <laughs> Fair enough. I, I remember trying to make OpFi or Open Finance a thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that took. took we took tried it. to do that in the early days right. of DeFi as well. We didn't succeed. Right. So <laughs> and, yeah. it, and that if we couldn't do it then, like it's already it's probably already too late for. DAOs. But yeah, we, you, me, Eric Connor, we tried to meme OpFi or Open Finance into existence and we just got absolute, absolutely obliterated. Just took a big fat L on that one. Mm -hmm. uh, another take that we had that I thought was pretty interesting was from Greg Eisenberg. And he says, where the world is going, I'd rather trust a blockchain over a government. I'd rather trust a smart contract over a terms of service. I'd rather trust a community over a company. Who we trust is changing fast. I thought this was really profound. Any thoughts here? I, I think so too. And I think the funny thing is, is that we don't actually have to trust these things. They're trustless and we trust them because they're trustless, if if that makes sense, where mm -hmm. we trust a, a smart contract over a terms of service because we can see a smart contract is a pro programmed and is immutable on Ethereum. Like if it's coded that way to be immutable, like I can trust that Uniswap V2 is going to run as programmed because I know that those contracts are immutable. Um, and, you know, I'd rather trust the community over a company. Well, yeah, I mean, the community has different kind of like um, uh, allegiances and incentives as Those opposed are your friends to too. someone yeah exactly exactly as a, yeah and as opposed to someone working in a company so yeah i think the fact that we can trust these things because they are trustless is like a new paradigm maybe i shouldn't use that term so loudly no, no. sorry you, market don't 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 listen to me no i specifically <laughs> try and use the phrase new paradigm as frequently as possible specifically to get over that hump it's like no i want to use that word i want to say paradigm <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Here's something that I thought was pretty cool. Anthony, right before I, uh, we started recording this, I went to Twitter and realized that you can actually search emojis in Twitter and specifically uh, in, with uh, people. And so here are all the people. Let me uh, zoom out a little bit. Here are all of the people that have the bat and then the speaker emojis in their names on Twitter. The list just goes and goes and goes and i think it's over like 300 or 400 twitter accounts that have uh zoom isn't really capturing my scrolling but i am scrolling through these people here um and it i it could be it's, it's literally a countless number uh and so there's a lot of people with, with uh, twitter accounts that have the bat emoji and the speaker symbol in their name of course what does that mean ultra sound money it's kind of ethereum's first big like twitter like banner. We've never really had a Twitter banner before, but it seems to be the bat and then speaker uh, emojis. Anthony, I'm pretty sure you have the bat and speaker emoji on your Twitter account, right? 
yeah yeah i mean it's it's a movement right like it's the ultrasound money movement and people are just signaling their kind of like i guess allegiance or bullishness to the movement so I, it's really cool that you can do this i hadn't i, I mean I, I see people with the with the emojis in their name and everything but i didn't know it was this many people and mm -hmm. this is hilarious to me because this is exactly why there are some contrarians out there right now who are saying that oh the only reason people care about 1559 is because of the fee burning um and i was wondering you know where are they getting this narrative from and it's i think it's because of this ultrasound money meme which I think, I mean, I think these people are wrong. The contrarians are wrong, but I, I, I just didn't realize like how far this meme had gone. It's, it's, it's everywhere, which is really, really cool. <laughs> I, I wish Zoom was capturing how much I'm scrolling right now a lot better. So go to my tweet. It's linked in the show notes. Go to my tweet and do it for yourself. Scroll down. I haven't stopped. I'm still going. Yeah, this I'm is... <laughs> still going. Like it's, it, it, it's endless. It's an endless pit of people uh, that have just the uh, ultrasound money logos in their names on Twitter. And so if you have a Twitter account and you haven't, added ultrasound money to your Twitter name, like, hmm, get, get, get with it, guys. Like, that's what we do you now. Should do, you, should do, you should do a search for how many Bitcoiners have the lightning emoji in their name still. Oh, God, no, <laughs> I don't want to do that. Because that used to be a big thing where a lot of them had it, but then they removed it when lightning adoption kind of like didn't go anywhere. <laughs> All right, guys, we got the meme of the week coming up next. But before we get there, of course, we got to talk about what we are excited about. Anthony, what are you excited about? So this might be a little bit kind of, I don't know if it's off topic, but like a little bit different uh, where I'm actually really excited about different narratives within the crypto ecosystem being challenged. And now what I mean by this is that let's take an example narrative out of the Bitcoin camp that said that they always said, you know, China would never mess with Bitcoin because that would mean that they're giving more political power or more power to the US in, in the Bitcoin kind of arena, so to speak. But I think that narrative is being challenged right now because, as you said, they're not banning Bitcoin, but they are really getting rid of most of the Bitcoin activity in their country by, by getting rid of miners. So that narrative is being challenged in a really big way. I believe there are other narratives out there that are getting challenged um, and that have been getting challenged over time, like people saying, oh, ETH can never accrue value or DeFi is going to outperform ETH. Well, no, we've seen that ETH is accruing a lot of value. DeFi is not outperforming ETH. And, you know, on top of that, we have uh, so many other just narratives over time that are, have, are being challenged at this point in time. And I think, you know, the people saying, oh, the flipping can never happen. Well, you know, I, I think it can. Like, yes, the ETH BTC ratio has come down a lot, but I think it's still higher than what it was like a lot higher than what it was at the at the lows um and i, I believe it's, it's still going to go higher and and i think that there's narratives around oh you know um ethereum is never going to ship the ship the merge which i think is is going to is going to go away so you know just generally this thing of like people coming up with stories and narratives and perpetuating them and then just always being wrong and these narratives being challenged and the more they get challenged and the more that these people are wrong the more skeptical people are of the new narratives that these same people come up with so mm -hmm. i'm just excited to see the shifts there because i think narratives rule this space and i think ethereum has been the uh has, has taken the brunt of the really crappy narratives over the years and has really kind of like suffered from that but i think going forward ethereum has very strong narratives to play off of and I think it's going to get like, uh, it's going to be even better and, and be viewed better by the community because of that. Yeah, totally. Um, the image that comes to mind is of the euthanasia roller coaster, which we talk about for um, for tokens that fork tokens that fork and fork, fork more tokens and fork more tokens. But uh, I think what's going on with, with, with what you're saying is that like, well, if you're on the wrong side of the narrative, like each new FUD narrative or, or narrative uh, against something that continues to be right, each new narrative becomes less and less more powerful over time. Uh, and, and so at some point, these narratives just straight up expire. Uh, and I totally mm -hmm. think you're right. I, I do think that the death of anti-Ethereum narratives comes at the merge, uh, which 
that will be uh, one of the of all the great benefits that the merge will bring that will be one of them for sure is like just putting to death that like ethereum 2.0 is never going to ship mm -hmm. yeah definitely a big one there um but yeah i mean what are you excited about david well, okay, so one of the things I was excited about was that bat speaker emoji. So I accidentally put that out of the wrong order. And so we actually already talked about, that was what I was so excited about, is like there's an, apparently an infinity number of people with the bat emoji in their uh, in their Twitter handle. But I'm also excited about Top Signal, and I know you're excited about it because you're going to be on the first show. And so I'm, I'm ready to, to try and take my hand and, and uh, make some new content that isn't uh, all the content that Bankless listeners are used to listening to and trying to delve into something new. Uh, and so, uh, like I said earlier, Earlier, uh, Tuesday evening is going to be the first show for Top Signal, and so I'm, I hope I hope we're funny. I hope we're funny. Yeah, that's the thing. Like humor is like pretty subjective, right? Um, and you know, I, I guess like doing it for the first time as well might be a little bit a uh, little bit funny. But I, I think I think it's going to be good. I'm excited for it as well. Absolutely, I, I hope it's good. Anthony, are you ready to uh, see the meme of the week? Let's do it. Let's get into it. All right, this meme came from Jim Bianco, who we actually just had on the Bankless podcast on Monday. It was a fantastic podcast. I guess this isn't really a meme, it's just a comic, but whatever. Uh, and so we have a what is looking like a corporate-looking individual talking to his corporate other little board members, and he says, instead of risking anything new, let's play it safe by continuing our slow decline into obsolescence. <laughs> Anthony, what, yeah, yeah, what, yeah. Do, you, what this, do you think about this joke? I saw it and he was referencing kind of no coiners here. So mm -hmm. people who are like, I guess, anti-crypto. And I think that this is really funny because this, I, I believe this, um, this comic probably talks about technology and how a lot of um, different companies fail to embrace new technology and get disrupted. And, you know, they, they 10 years down the line, they're like, what happened? Like, why is our company worth nothing now? It's like, well, because you failed to embrace new technology. And I think the same thing plays out with crypto. Definitely. Yeah, I'm reminded of uh, the Red Queen metaphor from Alice in Wonderland, where in order to stay in the same place, you have to be running forwards. Uh, and so if you are not changing, you are actually falling behind. Anthony, can't thank you enough for coming in and stepping in Ryan's very big shoes with the, the uh, Bankless Weekly Roll-Up, but you are a fantastic substitute teacher, and I'm sure the Bankless Nation appreciated you to come in. Uh, tell us a little bit more about all about the Daily Gui and what you do over there and where they can find more about all of the, the uh, content that you produce. Yeah, so thanks again for having me. Really enjoyed it today. I always enjoy doing these with you. Um, but yeah, I mean, what I do is essentially a bunch of different education as well. Uh, similar to what you guys do at Bankless. I have a, a YouTube channel called The Daily Gway where I give like daily uh, recaps of Ethereum every weekday. And I have a newsletter as well. But you can find links to all of that at my Twitter. So uh, Sassel0x on Twitter, S-A-S-S-A-L-0x. I'm sure David will link that uh, in the show notes or whatever for you guys. But yeah, um, uh, I, I do all of this pretty much every day. So yeah, if you're... <laughs> very interested in keeping up with ethereum and, and want to be at the bleeding edge uh all you have to do is follow the daily gway yeah anthony does this at the daily gway he also does this with the ethub weekly recap and then and then sometimes i need him to come and step in for the bankless weekly roll-up so i just ask him to do the same thing for the third time in the day and he's absolutely fantastic <laughs> at it we will link the daily gway youtube and newsletter in the show notes so make sure you go subscribe there all right guys just coming up after this, we have a fantastic moment of Zen. It's a really nice song. I hope you guys enjoy it. But before that, ETH is risky. Crypto is risky. DeFi is risky. You could lose what you put in. But we are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we are glad you are with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Ryan. <laughs> nice.
Hey, we hope you enjoyed the video. If you did, head over to Bankless HQ right now to develop your crypto investing skills and learn how to free yourself from banks and gain your financial independence. We recommend joining our daily newsletter, podcast, and community as a Bankless Premium subscriber to get the most out of your Bankless experience. You'll get access to our market analysis, our alpha leaks, and exclusive content, and even the Bankless token for airdrops, raffles, and unlocks. If you're interested in crypto, the Bankless community is where you want to be. Click the link in the description to become a Bankless Premium subscriber today. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the channel for in-depth interviews with industry leaders, Ask Me Anythings, and weekly roll-ups where we summarize the week in crypto and other fantastic content. Thanks everyone for watching and being on the journey as we build out the Bankless Nation.